you know, there are a few stories in the gospel uh, where uh, someone approaches Jesus and the interaction between Jesus and, and, and this person is one of just total humility, you know. And some of them, when, I, when I'm reading, if, I, if there's no deacon and I happen to be reading the gospel, it takes all my being not to, to burst out in tears, you know. Hello and welcome to Chat CDK, a new podcast exploring life and faith at Christ the King Catholic Church in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, John Stotts, Director of Adult Faith Formation here at Christ the King. In our fourth episode, I'm back for another insightful conversation with our pastor, Father Dexter Brewer. Our focus this week is on the upcoming Sunday Gospel, a startling passage in which Jesus resists a woman's plea for her daughter's healing. We'll be diving into discussions about Jesus' understanding of his mission, the essence of law, and the importance of a God who puts people before precepts. So thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Been able to uh, attend Mass when you've been presiding the last couple of weeks. And we've had a difficult series of readings from Matthew um, that, that often raise a lot of questions, but seem to defy easy answers or, or sort of clear points. Uh, you said something last Sunday, the story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter's failure to do so, um, about you know being in a position of authority as, as priest and pastor, but also having the experience of not always having power, um, of not always having answers even when such a, a position would would seem to demand that you you be well versed in both answers to deep questions that we have and the power to to make our problems go away, um, is that is that a fair fair summary of what what you had said? Well, well you know the reading I it was difficult because it is a difficult reading because uh, uh, that's that that scene of Jesus walking in water and Peter being called to him and walking a bit failing and others in the gospel uh, at the end of scenes like that there's there's a suggestion that uh, that if Peter had faith or if one of the other disciples had faith they could heal a demon they could do these things but it's because of kind of a lack of faith that they are unable to do certain things and and as I reflected on that I thought I thought about myself you know, as priests, we are we, we sh- should be anyway people of faith and uh, prayer. And yet, there's so many things I can't do. You know, I I, I um so many things I don't know. I mean, and you and if 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 it if it comes with faith or if it should, I would like to believe that I have a little more than than a a little bit of faith, and uh, and yet I'm unable to do any of the things that the gospel speaks about. And so I mentioned at the homily that I, you know, in my 34 years of priesthood, I, you know, almost every time I go into a hospital room, I, I to anoint someone or anoint someone in their homes or wherever it happens to be, I, I ask for whatever faith is needed that at least in this instance, they might be raised up, you know. And I know that's not the purpose of the sacrament. The sacrament is about the church's presence and, uh, and about Christ. Uh, being present and and accompanying a person, which happens whether I can see it or not. 
But still there is that, that something that says, you know, if I'm praying for this person to be raised up and to be healed, uh, surely if I, if I were the priest that I, you know, the gospel speaks about, you know, Jesus speaks to his disciples and all, surely I, this would happen, you know. And so it, it can be a little frustrating or yeah, dumping. It's a, a bit of a conundrum if, if you're a person of faith and you ask for these things and we'd assume that you would get the things you asked for, unless God, of course, does not want you to have them. But then we're left wondering, why do we have all these stories of faith and healing when that, that doesn't appear to be what, what God has in store for us? After one of the daily masses, we had a reading uh, where the, uh, uh, a man brought his son to Jesus, who was possessed, I believe. And, and uh, he mentioned that he had brought him first to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't do anything for him. And Jesus heals the guy. And afterwards, the, uh, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, well, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says, in Matthew, anyway, he says, because of your little faith, hmm. you know. And then he says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this tree, be a planted, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would do so. Or to, to this mountain, move, and it would. And so I ask people you know, who were at Mass that day, how many of you have been able to move a tree? And these are faithful people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, mean do you know, I mean, there's something, it's, you know, there's a, at least a mustard seed there, if you can quantify faith that way. I don't think it can be, but uh, but they're there because they they believe that Christ makes himself present to us when we gather in the community. Mm. We hear his voice in the gospel. We, you know, the spirit is working and moving in that in that space in a way that it that it doesn't in other places, you know, because of our gathering. And uh, so they believe those things, and yet not one of them had moved a tree <laughs> or made a mountain move from one place to another. So <clears throat> Well, in this Sunday's Gospel, we get another uh, another story of faith. Um, and I think it's another story that raises more questions than, than it answers, both about what faith is, but in this case, about who Jesus is and how he understands himself and how he, how he interacts with people, how we are meant to interact with him. So maybe you'll read it and we can talk a bit about it. Uh, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. But I, I'd like to make one point, uh, because I... Because it's something that I, I continue to think about. It was kind of the, the end point of last month, last week's homily, and that is, you know, after meditating for quite a while on on Peter's inability to walk on water, uh, and uh, and all the comments about how, you know, maybe his the reason why he couldn't was because he took his eyes off Jesus because, you know, whatever the reasons are, you know, in the end the thing that I'm kind of turning over in my mind these days is maybe, just maybe, it's not necessary that we be able to walk on water. Mm. And I think I, that's how I ended the homily. That maybe it's, it's enough to know that there's someone who can, God, and to know that he's close by, you know. So all this fighting with faith and trying to do ex extraordinary things, maybe we can leave that to God, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so... This is a reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. 
Jesus' disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. He said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and did Jesus' homage, saying, Lord, help me. He said in reply, It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. She said, Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of the masters. Then Jesus said to her in reply, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And the woman's daughter was healed from that hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are a few stories in the Gospel uh, where uh, someone approaches Jesus and they're and the interaction between Jesus and, and, and this person is one of just total humility. You know, there's the one, and some of them, when, I, when I'm reading, if, I, if there's no deacon and I happen to be reading the gospel, it takes all my being not to, to burst out in tears. You know? mm. there's, there's the one where Jesus asked the guy, uh, you know, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Master, I would like to see. I think it's Bartimaeus, maybe. Uh, it's just a very simple request. You know, I, I can't see. I know you can do this. You know, mm. And if you would, I'd like. And, and then there's one where, very similar, uh, the guy approaches Jesus and he says, uh, if you want to, you could help me. You could heal me. And Jesus says, I want to. You know, mm-hmm. you know I mean, it's mm-hmm. just... Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the ten lepers, where the, the one guy returns and says, I don't believe you did this. You know, I'm, I'm a nobody. So this is one of them, too, at least as I read it, uh, where uh, the humility is profound. And I guess humility and faith go together. When, it, when, it, when you're in the face of the Lord, Lord of the universe, you know. I, um, yeah, humility, faith, and a certain persistence. Uh, for for me, the story takes a very human situation, a situation in which I think we've all found ourselves, that of really needing something and knowing that there's someone else who could get it for you and being utterly ignored. You know, whether it's waiting in line um, and being dismissed by someone who could help us, uh, you know, or, or context where we know that if someone just bent a little rule and helped us out and it wouldn't hurt anyone and it's just sort of procedure or bureaucracy or whatever that's keeping us from getting what we need you know and the feeling when we think this person is not gonna they could help me right they're not gonna do it and and sort of you know as i hear this you know picturing it from from this this woman's perspective sort of building desperation and frustration you know, but somehow she's able to transmute that into uh, a skillful way of getting Jesus to do what she needs him to do for her to have the life that she thinks, or, or not even her life, but if for her, for her, her daughter. daughter. Right. Um, Which is even more intense. Right. I mean, it's right. one thing to be asking for something for yourself. Right. But a parent asking for a child right. is 
on another level completely. Right, right. right. I mean, in, in this context, I think of the difficulty for some people to get the medications that they need yeah. um, or to get the medications that their children and right. when they're, you know, they can't get their doctor to answer the phone or they've run out of, you know, and, and there are all these layers and restrictions that often have very good reasons for being there. There's a movie. What's the movie where the, where the guy, he's trying to get health care for his son and he then takes these hostages or something because, anyway, I, I've never seen the movie either, mm. but I but I do know that a father trying to get his son the help that he needs, right. there are all kinds of uh, um, you know, governmental and, uh, and other you know, barriers and, and obstacles to, right. to his re- achieving what he wants. And he just goes nuts right. because right. he can't get for his son what he needs. Right. Uh, and, and in this case, too, there are. I mean, because Jesus right. points out at the beginning, I didn't come for you. Right. I mean, you can't say it any more clearly. I'm here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And and uh, so that's a big, that's a pretty big barrier. And, you know, we're kind of working our way backwards through this, but it, there's a the parallelism. You know, Jesus tells her, you know, the first thing he says to her, it's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. And if he's the one saying this about children, that puts him in the position of parent, right? And mm-hmm. in, in the way, so he's come to help his children. And here she is advocating for her child. And he's saying, you right. know, I, I'm, I'm doing this for my children. Right. And, you know, saying- and your children are not my children. But, but somehow she is able to appeal to him on the sort of parental level, this desperation, you know, if, you know, see how desperate I am for my child. Is there not something of that uh, in you? I think that's a great point, you know. And, um, and that touches, it reaches him somehow. Because we, I think we have no reason not to believe him, right. not to take them. We talked a little about this in our, uh, before wait, the recording. Wait, it's curious because, uh, you know, as you say that, um, you know, he brings up this 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 relationship between parent and child, right? Mm-hmm. And and she simply, I think, not expressly, but she uses it. Yes. You know, so you brought it up. Okay, just as you then, you know, take care or, or feed properly, you know, your kids, those who you're responsible for, I also have the same responsibility for my child. And therefore, you know, what's your response to that? And, and it's really not something he can, he can ignore. Right. You know, right. It, it reminds me of those cases in, 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 in court where, you know, one lawyer brings up something, you know, kind of an avenue of a way of seeing something. And then when uh, the other lawyer tries to go down that same road, the one lawyer objects and the judge says, no, you, yeah. you started this. Yeah, you opened the store. Right, that's yeah. right. You started this. He gets to go as far down this road as right. he wants. Right, right. And so she takes, she takes advantage of of the image that he creates. And, right. Uh, and, and in a way, you know, he, he, she matches him stubbornness for stubbornness. Yes. Uh, we don't always, I think, focus on the amount of tenacity that it required for Jesus to, to do his ministry, you know, to stick to this plan. There were how many different distractions or side alleys or things that he could have done. I mean, lots of wine. He could, he could make lots of wine, lots of things to do. <laughs> and yet, you know, he sticks to his understanding of this mission, which will take him to the grave and beyond. And yet here he is bested by someone who is just as stubborn in what she thinks 
her mission is, in this case, to secure healing for her daughter. And he caves, he gives into it. And, and, and especially, you know, in this context, in an honor-shame society, social standing was everything. You know, his ability to preach, to gain the confidence of the crowd had to do with his, you know, sort of mastery of the situation. And, you know, this, this particular person had, you know, not just one or two, but three strikes against her. She was from a region outside of Jesus' own, a region that you know, Matthew points out, she's a Canaanite, the historic enemies of Israel. She's a woman. And her daughter's possessed by a demon, which you know, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't happen randomly. You know, no. no one in this time would think you, know, you could walk down the street and get accidentally possessed. You were possessed by doing, or thought to become possessed by doing forbidden things, or, or it was a mark that God had abandoned you. And so here's someone at the very bottom of social standing, you know, when it came to Jesus and his disciples, and he allows her to be correct. You know, he, he, he sees her point and lets go of his own understanding, of his own stubborn clinging to something that he thinks is very important and very good. And uh, so, so there are some who, you know, who have said in reading this and some have commented that maybe Jesus was kind of toying with her. You know that in fact he didn't. He never had any uh, uh, notion that his ministry was so limited, and that he was just trying to—he was kind of testing her to see if she, just how far she'd go and how persistent she'd be. What do you think of that? And, and they say that because they—they—they—it's they, they, difficult to imagine that Jesus would would be limited right by anything, even right. by ministry. You know, right because of the nature of the all-embracing. The you know, nature of, of the gospel, you know, and right. So I think they're trying to to find a way to to make make the school way. I think the right <clears throat> instinct in that the the right instinct in that is to recognize that you know, and what I think Catholics have traditionally called God's providence, that there is a way in which all things will work together for the good of those who who love God, as Paul says. That that is. As life unfolds, God does have a way of sort of anticipating everything and, and moving things to come together well in the end, we hope. And so in knowing this, I think we tend to put that on Jesus, where I think the error is, is that Jesus gives plenty of indications in all four Gospels that he doesn't fully know the plan, you know, that things happen. He has to anticipate people's faith. When there is no faith, he can't do certain things. Um, so I, I think that that perspective would turn Jesus into someone who's maybe more manipulative than I'm comfortable with, someone who yeah. who is misusing his power to, to score points. Um, it solves some problems but I think it creates others. And the one that it creates for me is, I, I don't know how to relate to this person. This person is someone who has all the power and all the answers, and I have to do a song and dance to unlock you know, the right mystery. And in this interaction, it takes away the humanness of it. Right, it I, takes I, a, I would agree. Right. It, takes, it turns it into um, a power play, and it, it turns this, this woman's suffering into a spectacle, you know, for, for us to learn from. 
Um, so that she's supposed to thank her lucky stars that Jesus played this game and, and, you know, taught her something. But, uh, here I think it's more raw. I think, I think Jesus actually is reluctant, uh, unwilling. And I think she changes his mind. And there, and there is at least one place, though at the moment, I forget where it is, where he, in sending his disciples out, he tells them, I mean, he kind of limits their ministry. He says, you're to go first to the lost house of Israel. You know? yeah. uh, don't go into Samaritan villages or any of those places, but go to these people. So at least in that reading, it sounds as if, uh, and it sounds wise. I mean, you can't go everywhere all at once. I mean, you, you first tend to your own household, right. and then you expand it beyond that. But, uh, but there does seem to be a sense that he has uh, uh, some notions of the limitations of, of what he himself can do and what he wants his disciples to do. Right. Though, right. I guess in this case, he kind of goes beyond those boundaries. And, and, and at the root of that is her love for her daughter. And I think right. we, we can't lose sight of that, that it draws her love into, uh, up into this feverish pitch of, I will do anything. Yeah. And, and that, and sort of allowing that to be written down. And now it's a story we tell I think that tells us something of God's own love. That is, it's not just Jesus here who tells us what God is like. Jesus' interaction with this woman creates a situation in which we get to learn about God from you know, the poor woman with a possessed daughter who is willing to, to argue with God about what she needs. Uh, and, and if God is just as you know, stubborn and, and bringing about our healing as this woman is, uh, then, then we're, then we're okay, and and that I think brings us back to where you started, which is maybe it's not important that we walk on water because this woman can't heal her daughter with her faith. Her faith allows her to be stubborn enough to not let go, uh, and to to continue to advocate for her daughter and to do whatever it takes to get it from the guy who has what she needs. That's right. So she knows that someone else can. Right. It's not important that she can. Right. And that he's close by. Right. So she seems to succeed where Peter fails. Peter wants to use his faith to walk on water. This woman uses her faith to, to recognize right. yeah. that he's here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what do you make then, if Jesus does have a mission, you know, if we take his words at face value and, and he has an understanding of what he's supposed to do, that in some sense he thinks is given by God, you know, that... Mm -hmm. that um, you know, I don't think it's idle that he says no. I think he uh, maybe sees some risk in, in what he's done. Nevertheless, he does break his own rules. Uh, what do you make of that? Did he? Do you think he sinned? Do you think he he violated his you know his vows <laughs> I or his cross that one off? <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, um, no. But I I, I do believe that there is. Uh, First, there's a benefit to to law and order or to limits, okay, in our mm. lives. I mean, for example, you know, I, I think I mentioned uh, if you were beginning anything, I mean, you, you know, a good um, plan must recognize that you, at, at least initially you, you you need to be fairly limited in, in what what you want to accomplish. If you were to accomplish anything at all, and if it is to grow. But, but you must focus a bit. And so I think his ministry is focused 
quite rightly. Uh, but what is extraordinary is that when the moment comes when he needs to kind of to violate the 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 walls that that kind of keep him in this focus or whatever, uh, that he's willing to do that hmm. in this case. Uh, in the church, we would call it dispensing from, yes. from the law that's there. And, yes. Which we do all the time. Yeah, we, we have all kinds of laws, as people know, uh, books and books of laws. And uh, But the church is is willing to dispense with most of them. You know, there are only a few of them that can't be dispensed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some of them, it dispenses all the time, and yet it still keeps the law because there's something to be said for... Uh, for the order that you know, that that comes from, yeah, that, something being known and people knowing what it is expected of them. Do you know what I mean? It's interesting. Yeah. It's a different conception of law than I think sometimes we have. If I understand you right, the law teaches us something. It tells us something um, about a pattern or you know some regularly occurring thing that, but. If that's the primary function of the law, it can be dispensed with because it still continues to teach us, even if we we found an exception to it. That's right. That's right. Uh, but that means the law, the primary function, is not just to utterly dictate everything that we're supposed to do all the time. Which I think sometimes we think about it. You know, the law simply tells us what to do. Um, or to keep people imprisoned or somehow right. encased in something. Right. Right. No, that's not the purpose of it. Right. Law, right. But the law could tell us what is to be done, right. dot, dot, dot. You know, and, and, and our relationship with others and, and how those relationships are, what others can expect from us, right. given our relationships to them as pastors, right. you know, as bishops. You know, yeah. Right. So, so on the one hand, you could imagine a Jesus who has no law, has no mission. He just pops into the world and is there and goes about healing people and and then... But what we would lose is, I think, first of all, his his aim to develop, not just to heal individuals, but to develop a community of people um, in whom you know, healing and uh, hope and these things are sort of alive and vibrant. If he just goes and solves everyone's problems, individuals would be healed, but there would be no church, there would be no community. Um, and so he needs a mission to, to gather people to himself who he can talk to and um, given that he probably only spoke one or two languages, you know, you know, all those things are limiting. Do you know I mean? Even right. the, the fact that he's born in a particular part of the world and he can't be everywhere. Right. You know? So he, he's having to attend to where he is, who's before him. And the fact is his community happens to be the lost people of the house of Israel. Right. That expands, but, but initially, He's limited by so many things. Right. You know, I mean, human beings are limited. That's right. kind of the way it is. Right. I mean, even human beings who happen to be God. You know. And he didn't incarnate in China. Right. He didn't right. incarnate in, in the United States. Peru. Right. right. So okay. he he is limited <clears throat> by location, by language. He also didn't incarnate as the son of an, a Roman emperor. Right. You know, he, right. he did not which would have given him more access to people, what laws he could have made, you know, what armies he could have led. But instead, he becomes the most limited, you know, in some ways that, that a human could be, both in locale, you know, this nondescript region of Galilee, uh, and, and at a time when, you know, 
the Jewish people were relatively powerless, politically speaking. And that's where he chooses to sort of make his beginning uh, and to formulate a mission that would help him to gradually sort of leaven the dough of the world. On the other hand, we could imagine a Jesus who is utterly, utterly bound to his law, utterly bound to his vision, who admits no exceptions. Um, what, what would be lost there if we had a Jesus who is unwilling to make exceptions, unwilling to dispense? Well, when the law becomes an end in itself, then of course you've got a real problem. Right. 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 I mean, it is said over and over in Scripture that that uh, that the law and even something like the Sabbath, all those things were made for us, mm-hmm. and uh, and so the law has to be kept in, in proper balance. I mean, its purpose. It's one of the unique things about the canon law, as as it's compared, I think, to the civil law. Uh, the canon law really is uh, it's. First, it's it's grounded in theology first, but in but it's also its purpose is is the salvation of of the people of of the community. Hmm. So the object of everything that we do, um, everything that we do has to keep that in mind. And if you lose sight of that and just begin to you know to issue decrees and and, and enforce decrees just because of the decrees for the decrees' sake. Then you, um, then it doesn't work. I mean, mm. it it loses its its power really. Right. Okay. Which is why um, Rome. Um, it's curious. They uh, often when we send cases to them, you know, we you'll think, okay, this is the, the this will be their response. They're often very very, uh, you know, the response that they send is something that you could never imagine. Because they have a different understanding of how the law works, and especially about how it is to form the community and and the people, which they always keep in mind. Mm. And uh, um, as a parent, when I think about making rules, and I, I break the rules I make all the time, <laughs> and my kids know that I'm such a soft touch. I will, with, you know, with firmness, set lay forth this rule. It's meant to protect, you know how much screen time they should have or when dessert should be and you know and and it all makes sense and it's it's all reasonable and yet you know sometimes they just say papa please you know and okay you know i can't yeah. think of a good reason right now not, not to, to right. other it, than it, for the sake of the you know the law, that, it's yes right, right. it's against the rules um and i worry about that sometimes you know kids need structure but also they need to see that we're all making this up mm-hmm. as we go along, you know. Um, even canon law can be changed, right? Oh yeah, the Pope uh, has changed it recently, so. right? Right. Um, and so we, back to your point, we need we need structure, and we develop structure in accordance with how we understand, you know, the world to be. Uh, but then sometimes some persistent issue that won't go away will demand that we we make exceptions, and and eventually, you know. In the history of Christianity, this exception will prove to be the rule. You know right. that the mission will extend not in Jesus's lifetime, but it will extend to these other areas, uh, and so we get even a foretaste of this as, as Jesus realizes that it's it's already happening. You know, beyond his control, this woman has already been led by the Spirit to him, uh, and manages to surprise him. 
Well, thanks for uh, for joining us again. Any any final thoughts? Uh, none. But thanks for okay. having me. Good. Thanks for listening to Chat CTK, a new podcast exploring life and faith at Christ the King Catholic Church. Future episodes will feature interviews with CTK parishioners, staff, and clergy about their experiences of God, Catholicism, and faith in everyday life. You can find new episodes at ctk.org slash chat ctk, or you can subscribe to this podcast using Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app.